welcome to the Leading for Impact podcast, where we spotlight influential leaders in the nation's second largest school district, LA Unified. I am Francisco Canche, specialist with LAUSD's Instructional Technology Initiative from the Division of Instruction. Here with my co-host, Jamie Galgana. Hi, everyone. Bringing you the voices of leading experts and practitioners who are making a positive impact on teaching and learning in their communities for all learners and families. Today, we look forward to chatting with leaders from James Madison Middle School, home of the Bulldogs. Joining us on the podcast today will be Assistant Principal Elizabeth Lester, Instructional Technology Facilitator Gohar Hamo, and Computer Science Teacher Brian Iraeta. Join me in welcoming this amazing team. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Brian, I'd like to start with you. How did you become interested in computer science and what led you to pursue a career as a teacher in this field? Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I've always wanted to be on a podcast, so very excited for the invitation and the welcome. To answer your question, so for me, I got my teaching credential in the ACT program at CSUN, Cal State University, Northridge. One of the courses that we were required to take was an educational technology course. We got to experience a lot of the up-and-coming technology that we see in the classroom today, you know, 3D printing, augmented reality. And in that was also some computer science components. They touched very lightly on artificial intelligence. And I was very intrigued by that. And I remember having discussions with my classmates at the time and talking about how I really felt strongly about how this this was the future and that this was something that was only going to grow exponentially over time. Fortunately, I started my career off at Madison Middle School as a English and a social science teacher. And after my first year, I was approached by the school principal at the time, and she had discussed the possibility of teaching computer science on a daily basis with Amazon's Project STEM curriculum as a foundational resource for the courses. So she gave me an opportunity to look over the curriculum and I found it very, very interesting and very intriguing. And I actually had background in coding as well when I worked at Apple. I would do summer camps with children, just one week camps, very light, but involve coding using Blockly code. And they would code small robotics like Spheros, MeBots. And I just, I found it very exciting. I found it very enjoyable. And so coincidentally, when Ms. Parker, the principal at the time, had invited me to teach computer science here in Madison, I jumped on the chance and the rest is history. We're glad you did. I'm very excited that you joined our computer science like endeavors. I like that path, right? It's not like you started. It wasn't intentional. It just kind of fell upon your lap. And here you are. And you're an award winner. So great. Thanks yes. for joining us. Well, we also have Gohar. You're here on the call with us. Can you share with us a little bit about yourself for our listeners? Provide some background about your current role and your experience in education? Of course. Like Brian, I didn't know that this was going to be where, uh, you know, I would end up. I have a master's in curriculum development, and my focus was on teaching, and I was in an elementary school classroom. And I don't know if anyone remembers, but back in the day, we had designated testing carts, and they weren't supposed to be used, according to my principal at the time, for anything else. But I was like, can I just house that in my classroom? And so uh, I started developing lessons that integrated technology, and the kids loved it, and their parents loved it. And so I had a coworker, Allison Jonas, at the time who was like, hey, can you share what you're doing with other people? And that's kind of how the ball started rolling. And I've been a technology facilitator now for the district for the past seven years. And this is my second year at Madison, and it's a great team that I'm working with here. 
I'm glad, Gohar, you mentioned you have a team, right? So there's supportive people there at the campus. And we have your assistant principal, Elizabeth Lester, who, to provide some framing for our listeners, you are currently the designated assistant principal leading the integration of technology at Madison Middle School. Can you share briefly your career pathway that has led you to this current position? Yes, and thank you so much for having our team here today. We're really honored and happy to share our pathways for everything with all of your listeners. And so I'm kind of like a blend of Brian and Gohart. So I was also a career changer. And so my background was in bioengineering. And when I came into the classroom, I had the opportunity similar to house some um, iPads at the time. And I found some great resources to be able to really support my EL students with their speaking and listening skills. And then also with my students across the board on collaborative projects. And I saw that they they really were getting into them. And of course, being that, you know, first one, then it became, well, how can we share this with other teachers to build the resources? And through a community partner, we were able to get some funding to build a Wednesday technology workshop to be able to expand things out. And that kind of led to the growth of my learning, because as I was supporting others, I needed to also learn. I had the pleasure of being able to join ITI and be an instructional technology facilitator, and then had the opportunity to be here at Madison and then move up into the assistant principal role over instructional technology. And through that journey, one of the things that like I've really been passionate about is about the aspect of seeing when students are engaging in these activities, that it's really building confidence. And that's something that all students across the board, regardless of demographic backgrounds, really having that opportunity to have those accesses and having that team here at school has really helped to be able to grow that that vision that I developed over my pathway. I love uh, that you shared sort of like that triple track approach, like as you entered into this learning, you were learning not only for yourself, but also the educators who you support which eventually trickles down to students. So my next question is for Brian in relation to sort of the students who you work with. As you've been teaching computer science, what are some of the challenges that you've faced in teaching CS? How have you overcome them? Or I know Elizabeth had also mentioned engagement and confidence. If you wanna speak to that, like any strategies you use to engage students who might not initially be interested, any insight that you could provide from the classroom? Yeah, of course. So I'll answer the first part first. And the the wonderful thing about computer science is that generally speaking, students find it very, very interesting and they find it very exciting. It's something that is difficult to master, but easy to learn. And, you know, fortunately I had the project STEM curriculum as kind of a foundation to build upon. And my initial year, there was a lot of trial and error. I, you know, found what worked and what didn't I really tried to build, reflect and build upon that um, the following year. And I feel like computer science is is still in its infant stages as far as what it, it will truly become. I foresee it becoming eventually a core class in the near future, just because of how vital it is to what's going on in society today. I mean, you see how integrated AI has become and how controversial of a topic it's become as far as its potential and its dangers. And in a lot of ways, it's very exciting as well, the possibilities of what technology may bring. But kind of coming back to what I was originally discussing, in terms of in the classroom, some of the challenges that I personally have come across with students is making the initial skills that are required to be good at computer science and to master 
a lot of the concepts taught in computer science, understanding the importance of those things. And the things I'm talking about are more so like pseudocoding. And I actually got this inspiration from the Project STEM curriculum was the beginning of the year, I'll have the students walk me through putting together a sandwich. So I'll bring bread, I'll bring peanut butter, and I'll bring jelly. And I'll have them walk me through verbally telling me how to construct a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'll literally do what they tell me. So they say, grab a piece of bread, I grab a piece of bread. They say, put peanut butter on it. If they don't specify where, I'll just start spreading peanut butter all willy-nilly all over the place. And they quickly start to realize that you know you have to be very specific, very intentional in what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. Because you know that's really the nature of computer science is understanding some of the core foundational things and then building upon that, building upon those skills to master the more advanced skills that are required as the curriculum progresses. Brian, love that analogy of the PB&J sandwich and, the, and how they have to be so specific. So totally understand what you're doing there. Thank you. But my next question is for Gohar. Gohar, given that Brian mentioned CES is in its infant stages and it's vital and it's controversial, how do you stay up to date with the latest developments in the field of CS? And also, most importantly, how do you incorporate the knowledge in your coaching? Yeah, definitely. So actually, you know, going to conferences, staying up to date with those normal webcasts, doing what we can. But I find that some of the most dynamic things is just having a conversation with even just the people sitting with me right here with Elizabeth and Brian. And we have Jennifer and a few other teachers on campus who are really on the forefront of this. And we were having a conversation the other day about chat GPT and the implications for learning, right? Because we had a slew of students who were using it to write their essays. So it's like, okay, do we need to ban it? Or is it more about teaching the structures of writing, right? Going back, is it the end product? Or can we get the kids to then dissect the writing that the AI produces and see how they got to that point? So I think a lot of the conversations that we have and what's happening in the news and society, just kind of bringing that to the forefront is some of the best ways to learn. Especially from these two, I know they're still taking classes in computer science, so I love that they bring in and, and we have conversations about the next new thing, right? And so I think that's where the richness of learning and moving forward is. And so for our teachers who are more hesitant and they're not sure, what is it? What are we doing with this AI? They just want to ban it and they're afraid of it. We understand, but it's kind of getting them to realize there are a lot of positives and you know, maneuvering so that they understand what those positives can be and giving them that experience. And then, for example, at our campus, we try when we do PDs, we have technology PDs once a month, and it's bringing in lessons that teachers in their classrooms are doing and showing and showcasing that to the other teachers so that they feel comfortable. Like, this is something that teachers on our campus are doing, and you don't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel. You can, at the beginning, use the resources that are available. And then once you're comfortable with the technology, then incorporate it the way that you see fit in your own classroom. So I hope that answers the question. And kind of going back to also, I've, I've watched Brian teach in his classroom. The motivation, like he said, is definitely there for the students. The kids are there because they want to be. It's an elective class. They've chosen to be there. And, you know, they learn a lot. And it's showing the other teachers on campus that 
the kids already have the background knowledge. Now, how can we incorporate it into your math instruction? How can we incorporate their ability to build and code into your language arts instruction so that the motivation is there for them to create and not just consume the technology, which we're, we're all very much consumers. It's like, okay, let's move on to getting our students producing. Yeah, I, I actually think that's such a hot topic is like talking about what AI looks like in schools. And so when you mention like having those conversations or like real world applications, how students are currently using technology, I think those are great ways to kind of inspire how we reimagine learning with technology. So that really brings it to sort of like the system level of the school in terms of how we support using technology to sustain learning and also support the direction it's going in. So I guess that question is really aimed now towards Elizabeth in terms of like being the admin on site. What are some of those strategies to kind of build those teams and systems to implement and continually push your staff to continue learning about technology and its potential uses? So I'm a big fan of system management and change leadership. And so one of the ways that I kind of have approached this whole system with, you know, supporting the school, really using technology, in instructional technology across the board is kind of that Prosky ADCAR model, which really boils down to every year starting with need surveys. What is currently being done? What are the interests? What are the questions that are out there? And using observations through, you know, informal observations, peer observations, things like that, to really gather what's going on so that we can see where the strengths are, like Gohar was talking about, about bringing in some of those teacher leaders, those work samples, those lessons that those teachers are proud of, to use those as jumping off points. And so using that combined amount of data to be able to drive those system developments, which really also starts with a lot of awareness of the need of why we need to evolve our educational models to include all these skills, not just how to use the, the tool, but also how they can think through the process as students and as the teachers. And so using that model of creating the awareness, knowing what the needs are, then we really integrate it into our professional development. We integrate it into our student instruction. We integrate it into our families because that aspect of our families drive a lot of our decisions. So we need to help them to understand the importance of it, give them the tools to be able to have communications, have conversations to advocate for their students. So bringing that in. And one of the things that I was, you know, particularly really drove for is the importance of not just training our teachers in how to use instructional technology, but also starting that with our leaders, our out-of-classroom support staff, so that they understand not only the need, but also what is it, how can they use it in their roles, and that means that it becomes a system-wide integration, that it's not just something this one teacher does, but it's something that we're seeing in our professional developments, in our workshops with our families, things like that. And then the biggest thing that I think as a system that I'm very proud of that we've been able to do is it's an ongoing thing. And like Gohar was saying is it's something that is built into the calendar. It's a once a month. It's not just these one-off aspects of, you know, we did this really, somebody saw this really cool tool. They're going to show it off like this one day, but we actually have built it into that development of the culture to be able to understand that instructional technology to where it isn't just 
just an elective where it's CS, but it is something that the, the strategies that they're using potentially in their CS class, they might then see as they're using it in their English class or their math class or anything like that. And allowing those opportunities to create that cultural shift is something I'm really proud of that we've been able to do over the years here at Madison. Elizabeth, thank you for that complete answer of how you intentionally have a system management approach to everything from classroom support staff, teachers, but also, you know, it's important that families are included, right? Because you can't forget that, you know, we are, like you said, we're changing the whole culture. You have some strategies and some tools there that make it work. I'm glad it's flourishing. So what strategies do you use for those students that initially are like, what am I doing here? Even though it's an elective class and maybe the rest of them do want to be there. And when you do crack them or even those students, how do you keep them motivated for the entire school year? I think part of it ties to challenging the misconception that computer science has to do with, you know, primarily like coding. A lot of folks, when they talk about computer science, one of the first things that they relegate to is discussing coding, writing code, and talking about algorithms and things of that nature. But it's really more, it encompasses more than that. You know, there, we talked about robotics one of the things I do in my classrooms is I, I discuss how algorithms work in a lot of the popular media consumption applications that students use. So we have a discussion about how the recommendation system works in YouTube, you know, really tying in things that the students will be interested in, but also providing for them a lens outside of a user experience and understanding the back end of it, tying back to AI, how their data is becoming monetized. You know, how some of these companies are looking at their interests and how things like advertisements are being tailored to users' interests, to what they view, how much time they spend looking at something, what topics they search for or are interested in. And providing those additional lenses or points of view to the students, I think, really helps address some of those challenges. Because, you know, a lot of these students are, are interested in stuff like that. Well, wait a minute. So the advertisement I'm seeing on the Lakers playoff game it's not that my phone's listening to what I'm talking about. It's that it's looking at what I'm watching. It's looking at the things I'm searching for. And it's personalizing advertisements and video clips based on what I'm doing. And these companies are collecting that data. And what are they doing with that data? Why is it so valuable to them? And I think just kind of thinking big picture, ultimately, I'm hoping that these experiences will give these younger generations a better understanding of how their data is being utilized and how computer science really is such an intricate part of our personal lives, regardless of whether or not we're adults, young adults, toddlers even. And hopefully that brings about change, you know, because, you know, separate topic to your question, but a lot of the reason why technology is such a controversial topic at the moment in society is because of the fact that there's not a lot of regulation on, you know, big tech companies and a lot of these companies that influence computer science and educational technology and the things that we're using and integrating in our classrooms. Maybe you can talk about the project-based learning that you do in your classroom is, is a huge motivation and other computer classrooms electives in our school campus where the kids get to work in groups. We recently were the Level Up Los Angeles because I think back to 
to the question was, you know, what motivates the students? And what I've seen in your classroom and the other computer science classroom is that there's a lot of opportunity for teamwork. There's a lot of opportunity for projects. Yeah, I think it was a wonderful idea. Just touching on the, the topic of Level Up LA. Level Up LA was a project that ITI partnered with Minecraft Education with to design these custom worlds inside of Minecraft EDU with an objective of having the students design, utilize sustainability concepts and, you know, using things like eco-friendly materials to design structures or come up with concepts that can be actually implemented in the real world. The reason why I think that project was so wonderful is because it utilized the carrot, so to speak, that was being dangled was Minecraft education. The students love that software. They love that game. The game just contains a lot of learning extensions, a lot of potential, a lot of possibility to teach multiple subjects. I mean, yeah, the kids were script writing, they were yeah. practicing audio skills, speaking skills, they were working in teams. So it was really, really great to see. Yeah, They took a field trip. Yeah, took them to the zoo. And that was really kind of to drive home the idea of like why ecology is important. There's an ecology pond. So we got the Chatsworth Nature Preserve is our designated area. And a lot of kids were not familiar with that area. And the challenging part for me personally was how do I educate my students about this location that we've been designated? How do I drive home the why? Why is it important? And how do I also help them understand some of the things in the area, why they're important, why and how are they tied to nature? If I can interject, if you can hear the airplanes going by as we're speaking, it's because North Hollywood is very much a concrete jungle and a lot of our students don't have experience with open spaces. And so part of what Brian did with that field trip was just to get them that experience with what is it like for animals to kind of get the experience of what kind of enclosures, what kind of spaces do we need to create for animals to be able to thrive. I mean, I definitely got to see that. I visited Brian's classroom and saw students kind of wrapping up their Level Up Los Angeles projects. They were sharing real facts of what they're learning about the enclosures that they live in or like what animals are actually native to the Chatsworth Nature Preserve. So I could see that translation happening from that real world experience that they have into sort of this coding student build challenge. Thank you for providing those examples. But yeah, as we think about the practices around CS and fostering an inclusive culture, what are some things that you've done as a school site to really encourage diversity and inclusivity in CS courses that you do offer? What are some of the steps that you've taken to ensure all students feel supported or even your families? I know you say you do PD for teachers and for families as well. So I can kind of like jump off with the aspect of, again, as that cultural shift, is the aspect where one of the big things we've done is thanks to our two by eight scheduling, we were able to create a matrix, a scheduling where all of our students are able to take an elective class. So our EL students can take an elective. Our students that might be in resource centers are still able to take an elective class. Adopting that two by eight schedule was actually something that 
using the concept of we wanted all students to be able to have access to electives, to computer science thinking, and again, not just the coding, but like that whole conceptual idea by including that as something that our students can take and also bringing on full-time, two full-time computer science teachers, we're able to provide that to all of our students across the board and give that as opportunities so that it's not just one particular category of students, but our students in all of our demographics are able to, and we encourage, and our goal is that all of our students will take at least one computer science class during their three years here at school. And so whether or not they get it in sixth grade or seventh grade or eighth grade, that they'll be exposed to it and know that they have that success. So that's one of the big driving forces that we try to use. And actually, a lot of that was driven thanks to ITI when we were writing our plans, looking at our mission and vision, what are our goals, using that as part of our decision of how we were going to create the matrix and use our funding. So that's the admin side. Which is great because, you know, we do have a board resolution that mentions that every student should have a certain amount of hours for CS. So I am glad that at the middle school there at Madison, it is happening. Yeah, we're trying to create a pathway with our local elementary school. We took some robots and we kind of got some excitement going at Coldwater Canyon Elementary, which is less than a five minute walk away. I'm really excited about that possibility here. And I hope that it continues. Did you know ITI has a page dedicated to readiness resources for instructional, operational, and technical readiness to guide schools in successfully creating sustainable integration practices for device distribution? Find all the beginning of the year documents ranging from the responsible use policy to media release forms in this one-stop shop. Visit achieve.leusd.net forward slash ITI to visit the Readiness Resource Center. Considering the conversation, I'll open this question to everybody. And I know some of us have a more diverse background, like, for example, Elizabeth, background in STEM, former researcher Caltech, JPL. You understand the demand of applications and innovation. Where do you see CS going? What are your thoughts? Computer science is going to grow to where it's not just coding games. And we start to look more at what are those user experiences? How do we design various physical computing things? Computer science will move beyond just the on-screen coding, but looking at how is it going to interact in the world? How are we as users going to engage with the stuff that's being coded to where it's really much more fluid and becoming something that's a lot more into our physical world and we can understand it on a whole different level. And a lot of that computer science stuff is going to really touch more on developing those critical thinking skills, whether or not it's in that design phase and really looking at how do we design it, but also how do we troubleshoot stuff? Because especially as we start bringing in more artificial intelligence, where potentially AI is actually doing some initial coding, how do we adjust? How do we understand it? And so it's going to become much more integrated into this conversation of using this concepts to solve problems that are affecting the students immediately and go beyond coding games, which are absolutely great, but it's going to be the next phase as it evolves. We're going to see that we need to give them more experiences. Yes, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I definitely think that we are relying on our next generation to kind of solve some of these problems. And computer science could certainly help with that. But in order for our students to do that, we need great educators and systems in place that will support that type of innovation and transformation when it comes to the world of education. So thank you. 
Thank you for joining. Any final thoughts that you'd love to share uh, with our listeners uh, before we wrap it up? So kind of tying, I think, everything that everybody's been saying, I just would encourage teachers and leaders that are listening to this is to be brave. And like we were saying is it's that aspect of really creating this space where risks can be taken and mistakes are going to be celebrated because the only way we can really innovate it is to give that space and give that freedom to try things, to make mistakes, to try again, to do the iterative process of designing a new educational culture and celebrating what's our teachers are doing, what our students are doing, and giving voice to new ideas. And so it's just that aspect of being brave can be a scary thing when we're moving in. But I think that's one of the things that this team has been really good at, and I'm really proud of them, is they take on those risks. They're brave. They make mistakes, and we celebrate and we learn. And I just would encourage your listeners to take that on and be brave in the next phase of the educational growth of their students. Well said, Elizabeth. Well said. Thank you all for taking the time. This wraps up episode 11 and season two with instructional coach Gohar Hamo, computer science teacher Brian Irajeta, and assistant principal Elizabeth Lester. From Madison Middle School, go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. Thank you all for <laughs> tuning in, and we will catch you on season three of the Leading for Impact podcast brought to you by LA Unified Division of Instruction, Instructional Technology Initiative 2023.